you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We started a series in Proverbs last week, and um, we're going to be continuing that for a while this summer. As I said last week, I don't know how many weeks it's going to be, because I had planned, like, that's kind of how it works. I had planned to preach one on the fear of the Lord, but you can see it's a part one, so that means there's at least a part two. So uh, it's going to be two on the fear of the Lord, um, but really, when we talk about the word fear, um, well, you know what, I, I got to clear this up. So when I said about summer gatherings, I said, what did I, I said July and August, twice, both services, but it's June and July. And my wife reminded me after the first, when I announced it wrong in the first service, and when she said, then she said, when you get up, fix it. But I forgot <laughs> to fix it. Then in the second service, I did the exact same thing. And my assistant said, um, you might want to fix this. So, uh. At least the second service now has it. it. They are June and July. Did I get it right, dear? Yes. All right. Proverbs, fear of the Lord. Here we go. Fear. When we talk about fear, um, you know, you, fear is like you can have a real fear where you're terrified of something, but there's also something we call like phobias. Like there are people who are scared of spiders. They just have a phobia. Like one person sees a spider, they're not worked up. The next person sees a spider. Like I've read stories where people wrecked their cars because they were driving and all of a sudden a spider appeared in their car and they like wrecked their cars. One time I was driving um, uh, down the road and I was following a motorcycle. And this guy on a motorcycle, I mean, he had a helmet on. This goes to show you why you shouldn't wear a helmet, I guess. But he's riding down the road with his helmet on. All of a sudden, he let, he's going about 50 mile an hour. He lets go of the handlebars and just starts pounding on his helmet. And his bike does this, and wrecked. And he's sliding down the road just trying to get his helmet off. Here, a bee had flown into his helmet and started stinging him. And he just totally lost it. And like, I mean, he could have killed himself, but, but then... I get up to him like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, B was stinging me. He's like, can you help me get my bike up? And he just, we just stood his bike back up and he got on and rode on down the road. So that dude had a phobia with bees. Um, but like, like some people in my house have a phobia with snakes. Uh, my wife and one of my daughters. Like he's terrified of snakes. It's like this big deal. But like if you, if you live out in the country like we do, we live next to the mountains. So there's rodents around and there's, there's um, rattlesnakes. And there's, but if you have black snakes, some of you know if you have black snakes, you don't have rodents, you don't have um, rats, mice, you don't have poisonous snakes. So when we moved to this place that we live at now, um, when we first got there, um, like in the summer, you know, like in June, you'll see black snakes crossing the road. So I would just stop and pick them up and take them home. And some people are like, well, how do you take them home? Well, when you pick a black snake up, they wrap around your arm, so then you can just drive. But so I brought a bunch of them home, and um, so we had a, like a half a dozen or I don't, maybe more that I brought home that year. And so my wife and daughter are just not happy about it, but like, I didn't, like black snake or mice? I'm going black snake. Black snake or rattlesnake? Black snake, right? So, uh, but, but they were like, well, what if they get in the house? I'm like, they can't get in the house. And then one day I was down in the basement working out. I looked up on the basement wall, and uh, there was a male and female black snake up there. Now, you know how I know it was a male and female? All right, we're all mature enough, right? So I caught those two. I thought, well, those two know how to get in the house. And I'm glad I found it. And I didn't tell them for years. For years, I didn't tell them. So I just caught those two, put them in a bucket, and took them over to my brother-in-law and sister's house and let them go at their place. And, but some people just have this crazy phobia of snakes. Some it's, it's spiders. Some it's dogs. Like if you're ever out walking, your dog comes ripping across someone's yard. And it's always a guy who says, oh, they don't bite, but it doesn't listen to you either. 
Like, it's so annoying. Like, it's, never, it's always a dog that doesn't bite that what? Bites. Exactly. Uh, some of us are terrified of the police. Like, I'm not scared of the police unless I'm driving. I mean, can, you, can, can anybody identify with me? Like, you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, you, your headlights pick up that reflection. Anybody else? And immediately, you just smack the brakes. And I, you might be going the speed limit, but like, there's immediate reaction. What? And I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like, when I'm driving, I always have Google, I almost always have Google Maps open. Not because I don't know where I'm going. It's because they alert you to where they're sitting. I just like to know where they're at. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you just go to the speed limit, you don't have to worry about it, right? Some people are scared of heights. My, old, my oldest son um, doesn't like heights, and I didn't ask him permission for this. But you know what? I, he doesn't like heights, but I've seen him climb to the top of like old railroad bridges, like those high trestles, and jump 60, 65 feet into water. I said, well, if you're scared of heights, he said, well, if people are watching, I can do anything. <laughs> but we have these fears most of you know I rode bulls when I was younger, and um, in 95, I had a pretty bad wreck. I had kind of st- hung on to one longer than I should have and got down underneath it and ended up getting up against the chute and get stepped on, and my right shoulder was broken and had to have a lot of reconstructive surgery to it, and I was out for um, I, I, probably almost a year till I was released to go back um, to ride bulls again. And um, I... The first time I got on one, I can remember, it was an indoor rodeo in the winter. The first time I slid down in that chute again and took the wrap, I wasn't even worried about riding. I just needed to nod my head. You see, there was so much fear. I'd never, that was the most scared I think I ever was after that first injury, coming back. But we all have things that we're scared of, right? Now you're like, well, you should be scared of that. That's an opinion, I guess. Proverbs, though, is written, we saw last week, brief, Poetic sayings meant to make us wise. Proverbs is written to make us wise, but Proverbs talks about fear. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. But then it talks about fear in two different places in chapter 12 and chapter 29 in a negative way. A fear that's not healthy. Now, the fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, so we're, that's a, a good fear, to fear God. And I think sometimes, and we'll spend all next week on this, the fear of the Lord is just a reverent awe of him. It's a reverent awe of him. We'll dive into that much deeper next week. But the Bible also says um, over 300 times, probably over 350 times, fear not. Do not fear. Don't be anxious. So there's a good fear, a right fear, and a a bad fear. Um, The Bible calls us us to fear God. But there's a lot of things that we fear that we shouldn't fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But then he repeatedly says, don't fear this, and you know, d- don't fear. So we must get an understanding of what a biblical and unbiblical view of fear is. But before we go any further, why don't we just bow our heads in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that we can come together as your church to lift your name, to worship you. I thank you for your word that you have given us. And we believe that your word is sufficient, that it is authoritative, that it is inspired And I confess that apart from your word and your Holy Spirit, I have nothing to say. So today, Father, I pray that you would, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable and pleasing to you. I pray for those who are here today who have been under the bondage of fear and anxiety. God, that you would do a work in their lives today to release them of that. Father, we just commit this morning to you in Christ's name. Amen. Before I go any further, obviously, we're going to be talking about fear 
and anxiety today. And kind of the first statement there that you can read in your outline, fill in your outline, it says the biblical, there is a biblical fear and an unbiblical fear. There's a biblical fear and there's an unbiblical fear. Now, if we want to see an example of a biblical, of biblical fear, in Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord. So that's a, a biblical fear. We're going to see that. Like we're, to, we're called to fear God, to respect Him, to, to, um, to reverence Him, to stand in all of Him. But then if I go back to Proverbs 12, Proverbs 12, we see a, an unbiblical fear. Proverbs 12, verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Anxiety. Anxiety, fear. Uh, anxiety is just another way of, and there's different levels of anxiety and fear, but anxiety and fear in a man's heart weighs him down. That means if we have fear, if we have anxiety, it slows us down, it weighs us down. Now if we go back to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29 Verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man, the fear of man. So we see that anxiety weighs a man's heart down and that the fear of man lays a snare. So there's the fear of the Lord. That's a biblical fear, and we'll dive into that much more next week. But there's also an unbiblical fear, a fear of man, anxiety that, see, the fear of, of the Lord keeps us from sin, a fear of God, a fear of the Lord keeps us from sin, but a fear of man and an unhealthy anxiety will lead us towards sin. The fear of God keeps us from sin. There's a biblical and an unbiblical view, of, or, or, or there's a biblical fear and an unbiblical fear. Fear, and in like uh, Proverbs twenty nine twenty five, it's like it's this. Formidable, like foreboding, where you just you just dread something. You're so afraid something bad is going to happen. It's the idea of anxiety, um, the fear of man, or if man causes you to be anxious. Now, we live in a society and a culture that is everybody's business is so public, and so there's like. Like, there could be a fear of man within your own family. You fear what your family, what culture may say. Do you know, like, I've, I'm neutral. Can I just say this with social media? Like, I think social media is both positive and negative. It has good things and bad things. I'm not anti-social media. But I do know this, that social media is be, it's being, it's seen that even by secular people, um, secular psychologists, that social media, especially in young girls, is causing greater levels of depression, greater levels of eating disorders, greater levels of suicide. Why? Because we fear what other people say about us. And the level of bullying that goes on in social media, whether it's in high school or adults my age, it's incredible the bullying and the bludgeoning of people within our culture and society. And unfortunately, it happens in the church where it shouldn't happen, where Christians are doing it to, or professing Christians are doing it to other Christians at an alarming rate. And it causes fear and anxiety. This fear, the fear of man is a snare. You know what a snare is? A snare is something that's, that a trapper sets. Somebody's trying to catch an animal. They, they set a snare 
It's something with a noose, mostly, meant to, and they bait the snare. And so when an animal comes that they're trying to catch, most times the snare is meant to snuff, strangle, suffocate the life out of whatever it snares. It's not just meant to hold it alive. It's meant that when an animal steps into the snare, that it draws tight around their throat, around their body, and it takes the life from them. What Solomon is saying is the fear of man is like that. It strangles you. Uh, it says anxiety in a heart and a man's heart weighs him down. What is that? It weighs you down. Like when you, if it slows you down. What does weight do? If you're traveling, it slows you down. Anxiety, when you're carrying things you ought not carry, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Now, I like to hike a lot. I like to go on hikes and like I see other people hiking and a lot of other hikers, I don't understand it, but they'll carry like a lot of water with them, like four or five pounds of water. I just don't understand why you would want to carry that with you. I just carry a filter. Whenever I get thirsty, I stop at a stream and I fill one water bottle and I drink it and then I keep moving. But that's just how I like to do it. But some people just carry all this gear. They got sticks and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I don't want that stuff. I just want to, but see, anxiety does that to us. Anxiety is like someone who's trying to travel, carrying all this stuff weighs the heart of a man down. It slows him down. It makes him less effective. Anxiety in a heart. If you struggle with the fear of man, I would like to recommend a book to you. It's called uh, When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. Just, if you struggle with the fear of man and what other people think about you and what they say about you, write that down. When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. An incredible work on the fear of man. But again, this fear, it's an emotional foreboding, a dread of impending doom. Now, anxiety comes in varying levels. And God has also given us fear and anxiety at times, at low levels of anxiety or fear to motivate us. Like not all fear is necessarily bad. Like if you get out of your car at someone's house that you don't know and you start walking to their door and all of a sudden this big shepherd comes rolling off the porch, roaring at you, there's going to be a natural fear wells up within you, right? And you're going to take flight and get back to your car most likely and shut the door and then text them from the car and be like, what's up with this dog? You know, because that fear will motivate you. Fear will motivate you. If, a, if an intruder breaks into your house at night, there's a fear that overwhelms you. That's not wrong. It will motivate you to take care of yourself, to take care of your family. But there could be a fear that an intruder will break into your house, but never does, that controls you. See the difference? The fear of impending something could happen that most likely never will. And we consume ourselves with anxiety and fear and worry about things that most likely will never happen. But now there is a natural concern that a parent would have for their child. Be anxious. Like, how many of you have had teenage drivers? You get a little anxious then, right? Teenage drivers, it's a little bit, like, I, I, I'm not typically a person who gets anxious about much. But when my teenage children are out late at night, I'm just going to be honest, I don't sleep, really sleep to their home. I need to know their home. If I hear the, like our back door that everybody comes in squeaks. I could oil the hinges, but that lets me know they're home. It's still, and as soon as they're home, I can rest. Last summer, we were at a lake house up in New York and one of my daughters um, had to drive home and I knew she wasn't going to get home till like two in the morning. So I went to bed that night, probably 10 o'clock at the lake house, but I couldn't really sleep trying to knew she was home. But I knew that I would never be able to rest so I set my alarm for 2 a.m. So I could call her, text her. Are you home? Is everything okay? Yes. <sniffs> then I can sleep, right? 
but that's, that's an anxiety um, that's not necessarily wrong. Like, a fear, like I want to know are they okay? Because we fear the worst, right? And then, but often, most times the worst doesn't happen, but we still want to know. And so that God gives us fear to motivate us. As a matter of fact, there's a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 10 where Samuel was anointing Saul as king and Saul had been out looking for his father's donkeys. And um, because his father was concerned about some donkeys that had been wandered off and were lost. But the donkeys were found. So Samuel says to him, the donkeys you went to seek are found. Sometimes, I just got to do one aside. Sometimes people say, I say, my wife and I say donkey wrong. We say donkey, 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 donkey. Is it monkey or monkey? Some of you, you're not getting it. Come on. Donkey, donkey. All right, donkey, for those of you who want to pronounce correctly. The donkeys, donkey, that your father is concerned about, uh, he, he, he has ceased to care about them. He is anxious about you. See? There, there's an anxiety sometimes it's, that God gives us low levels that motivates us. It's concern. It could be general distress that, like Hannah in 1 Samuel, felt for her barrenness. She, she felt distress over that. And those aren't necessarily unbiblical. But this, these stresses, these anxieties, these low-level fears can turn into things that control us. So our anxiety or fear of our children out driving can come to this place where you just panic and like you have to have trackers on their phone and you have to know all the time and it just consumes you, right? That's what happens with fear. The enemy baits the snare because he wants us to be so fearful because he knows that anxiety in a man's heart will weigh him down, will slow him down, will snuff the life out of him. Luke chapter 12, a passage that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. This seems so simple. But Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12. And he said to his disciples, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what your body or what you will put on. He's like, don't be anxious. And he's going to go on and talk about birds, how like God gives them everything they need to eat. Like, don't be anxious. Now, that's easier said than done. Like, Christ would just say to us, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and how you're going to pay your bills. Don't be anxious about it. Well, that's easier said than done, right? And he goes on. He said, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? As a matter of fact, what unbiblical fear and anxiety will do will... Take away from the span of your life, not add to it. He goes on. If then you're not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Oh, you have little faith. Do not be worried. Well, that's easier said than done, right? Because there's things going on. Like there's so much that we're dealing with in life and society. But one of the things that fear can do, fear, an unhealthy and unbiblical fear and anxiety can reveal what actually is God in our life. In Genesis chapter 31, there was a conflict going on between Jacob and Laban. Jacob said, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, I love how he talks about Isaac, like, 
like the God of Abraham, the God of my father, and the fear of Isaac. What he's revealing is, I, not that Jacob and Abraham didn't fear God, but Isaac was known for his fear of God. See, you fear what your God is. That's why we're called to fear the Lord. If you fear poverty, maybe it's because that's your God. If you fear people's opinions, maybe it's because they're your God. If you fear the loss of a loved one with dread and terror, maybe that's your God. If fear and sickness and disease, you fear it, maybe that's your God. Now, the reality is, though, like I was listening to a pastor this week, and he said, you know, his grandfather died at 52 from a heart attack. His dad died at 52 from a heart attack. He was approaching 50 years old. It's like, I need to take care of my heart. Now, that was an anxiety and a fear that motivated him to take care of his diet, to take care of his exercise, to go see the doctor. That's not unhealthy. But if it begins to control him and his wife, where every time anything happens, they're just controlled, consumed, can't sleep. You see, you see the crossing over. So sometimes the things that, like fearing disease or death, you know, the, thing, the things that we fear the most are often the things that we can do nothing about. Fear can really reveal to us where our gods are. You know, we're a culture that is controlled by fear. It's like when COVID hit in 2020, a spirit of fear swept across our land, across the world, fearing death, fearing disease, and it's just perpetuated into almost every sphere of life and culture. Like, there is so much fear and, and, and I, I mean, the enemy just perpetuates it and people cultivate it, fear. But God has not given us as Christians a spirit of fear, but of love and of courage and of self-control. Now, failed to say this at the beginning, and I'm not going to talk about clinical depression today or anxiety that's at a clinical level. Do you see what I'm saying? Like there are, and there are levels of anxiety depression to get to a clinical place where there's chemical imbalances. I'm not going to talk about those today. I'm acknowledging right now, I believe they happen. I believe they happen. But I'll also say, I think at a lot of times, not always, but this comes from a friend of mine who is way more educated in these matters than I am. A lot of times when people get to that clinical place, not always, not always, but a lot of times when they get there, it's because of, un, especially as believers, unchecked sin or believing wrongly about things for far too long. But we are a culture that is controlled and manipulated by fear. And the enemy uses it to divide us, which perpetuates more fear. But as the church, this church, a Redeemer, we must be a church where it's safe to be vulnerable and to be real. Because sometimes it doesn't even feel safe to be real and vulnerable about what we fear. We're afraid we're going to be judged. People are going to scoff at us. Because we all have fears and anxieties, but they're all different. The things that I fear, you don't fear, most likely. And the things that you fear, I may not struggle with. But we have to be a place where it is safe to be vulnerable. A place of healing and understanding 
before June of last year, I didn't, I'm just going to be I didn't understand anxiety, panic attacks, and fear in the way that I do now. God allowed me to go through something last year that took me to a place emotionally that I'd never been before. Before, when people would talk to me about panic attacks and anxiety to the level that they couldn't control their breathing and their heart rate would just, and they couldn't like, and night terrors, if you know what, like, I didn't understand. I, I thought they were weak people. I thought that would never happen to me. I'm too strong. That wouldn't happen to me. But God allowed me to go through something that took me there. That all of a sudden, anxiety. I didn't know what was going on. I, I mean, panic, anxiety. I couldn't control my breathing. My heart would race. Fearful, like just, I didn't understand what was going on. Just a month before that, I told my wife, I believe that right now I'm the healthiest I've been in a long time, spiritually, physically, and emotionally. And just several weeks later, I was at the lowest point of my life. I'd never had people ask me, are you contemplating suicide? I'd never had people ask me that. I wasn't. But to realize that I was at that place where people were concerned about that for me, I'd never been there. I didn't understand. It was after a season of my life where I think I bore the most fruit. I just preached through probably one of the best series I ever preached through who we are and what we believe. And if the church needs to know now more than anything, what do they believe? What are their confessions of faith? What do we stand for? There was people getting saved. There were people being baptized. And it's in those times where we often become the most vulnerable and we don't even know it. We are most susceptible to the attacks of Satan often after great fruitfulness. And when we are tired, it reminds me of a story in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18, the prophet Elijah, one of my favorite Old Testament characters, the prophet Elijah, he was a prophet during the time when Ahab was king, he was a wicked king, he was apathetic, and he was married to a woman named Jezebel who was wicked, evil woman. And because of their rejection of God, Elijah um, told them that there would be a famine in the land, there'd be no rain for three years, and it came true. So Ahab wanted to kill him. So Elijah went in hiding, but three years later, they have a showdown. And Ahab and his wife Jezebel worshipped Baal, a false god. So Elijah's like, okay, here's, we're going to prove who the real god is. You guys bring your prophets of Baal out, and we'll build an altar you build an altar, I'll build an altar. You bring two bulls out. The prophets of Baal can select the one they want. They kill it. They put it on their altar. And you call down fire. And if you're able to call down fire and the altar just from nothing just burns up, then Baal is God. But if not, then I will kill my bull, place it on my altar. And whoever calls down fire, that is the true Lord God. So the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. They kill this bull, they put it on their altar, they walk around the altar, they begin to call out to Baal, but he didn't listen because he's not real. 
And then Elijah starts to mess with him. He's like, maybe, maybe he's taking a vacation. Maybe he's taking a nap. Or maybe he's relieving himself. Potty humor. It's in the Bible. We all know what it means. But, and they begin to cut themselves. So the blood flowed out of them, but no fire. And then Elijah, he digs a trench around his altar. And he fills it with some sort of grain. And then he dumps water on it. He has him dump water on it over and over and saturates it. And then he calls to God. And God sent forth down fire from heaven that burnt everything up. It says it licked up the water. It was all gone. A mighty victory in front of Ahab and the prophets of Baal. Then he took the 450 prophets of Baal down to a stream. And he killed them all with a sword. One dude stood down 450 prophets of Baal. That's awesome. An incredible victory. Elijah, how could he ever be fearful and anxious again? How could he ever doubt the goodness of God? How could he ever doubt? But in chapter 19, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. He just killed 450 prophets of Baal. This crazy woman. It's always a crazy woman. He runs off. He ran for his life and came to Beersheba. He ran 100 miles for his life because he allowed lies to creep in. He began to hear and believe things that were not true. This Elijah, mighty man of God, had just done a tremendous thing. All of a sudden, fear and anxiety overwhelms him, and he runs off. If you're like, well, I would never... This is Elijah. If it can happen to Elijah... It can happen to me, and it can happen to you. This mighty man of God, scared of that woman, Jezebel. Do you know the enemy's often his strongest assaults are on people, on men of God who herald the gospel, who shepherd the church, who lead the church, like Elijah. Because the enemy knows that if he can take a shepherd out, he can scatter the sheep. And he knows that when he scatters the sheep, that sometimes the sheep don't come back. But if they do come back, the sheep usually, their hearts are a little bit harder, their walls are a little bit higher, and they love a little less. That dare not be us. Do you hear me? If the trials and the difficulties we go through cause us to trust a little less, our walls to go up a little higher, to love a little less, we've given ground to the enemy. That's what he does. That's what he does. And the enemy is doing this at an alarming rate in the church today. He's doing it at an alarming rate. The amount of churches even locally where this has happened at in the past two to three years is astounding. And the enemy often uses professing Christians to bite, devour, to bludgeon, to death. Imperfect men of God. 
And the enemy wants to do this because he knows that if he can take out men of God, he can take out their families, and he can scatter the sheep. That's why Redeemer must be a place of healing, of love, truth, forgiveness, where we give love and grace and mercy and compassion. Now, some of you are starting to wig out because you're like, we're really far into this sermon and we didn't even get to point one. <laughs> what is going to happen? We're going to go through point one, two, three, and four really quick. So how do we respond to our fear and anxiety? How, we deal, how do we deal with it? How do we deal with unbiblical fear? Number one, acknowledge your fear. You have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge the fear. 1 Kings, chapter 18, verse 9 and 10, speaking of Elijah, and he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's God speaking to Elijah. What are you doing here? Beersheba, why did you run 100 miles? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek to take my life. Elijah acknowledged his fear. He feared death. He feared that they were going to kill him. He feared it. He acknowledged it. What do you fear? You need to acknowledge it. This summer, when I was going through that really difficult time, and I, was, and I went to see my counselor, and he was working with me, and I was trying to figure out why I was having these panic attacks, he said to me, listen, you're probably believing a lie. And you need to cut that lie off. You need to, and he said, do you, like, do you have any idea what that lie is that you're believing? Did I tell you this already? Sometimes I get confused first and second service. I did. I didn't. I'm getting some yes and some no. I'm getting a no. Thank you from my wife. I'm going with that one. <laughs> He's like, you need to find the, the lie that you're believing. And he said, do you know what that is? I said, no. He said, well, I'm going to pray for you that God will reveal it to me. He began to just pray for me, just praying that God would open my eyes. I would see what lie I was believing. And it just overwhelmed me that I feared being found to be a fraud. And that fear was crushing me. The enemy was using it to lie to me. You're a fraud. You're a fraud. You're not who you say you are. You're not who people think you are. You're a fraud. And when I cut that off, things that began to immediately change. Not immediately, like, not over. I had to continue to cut that off. No, you're not. You're a child of God. You're not, you're not, you're not special, but because of who God is, see what I'm saying? Like, I had to cut that off. You have to acknowledge what the fear is. And then you have to evaluate the cause, and that's what I did. Number two, evaluate the cause. I got ahead of myself. I had to evaluate the cause. The cause for me was I feared that I was a fraud. Sometimes what we fear, we have to recognize is misplaced worship. Remember I talked about earlier that Isaac feared God? You fear what you worship. God has given, there's many young families in here, God has given you your children to raise, to, to discipline them up, but, but they are God's children. He loves them more than you do. 
It could be that the things that we fear are because those people are in a place in our lives that they shouldn't be. As I share, shared with you, like when my teenagers are out late at night, like I just can't, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if it consumes me, because you know what I'm fearful of? You know what I'm fearful of? I'm not even fearful of the phone call. I'm fearful of the knock on the door. You know? It's most likely never going to happen. But even if it did, God is good. And my anxiety and my fear isn't going to change a thing. Who of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? I trust that God is sovereign and he loves my children more than I do. And I'm going to give them really slow cars. That's all. Really slow cars. My youngest son thinks he's going to get my car. It's not even fast, but he's not getting it. I just shoehorned myself in there. Sorry, Manny. Some of you fear a lie. You allow lies that the worst possible thing could happen. And most likely won't. And even if it did, God is still good. Some of you allow past trauma, past pain, past experiences to control you, to manipulate you. You have to evaluate your cause, the, the cause. It could be that you're tired. It could be that you're dwelling on the negative. Have you ever been around people that just dwell on the negative? Well, this could happen. Well, this could happen. Well, yeah, it could, but it's not going to, most likely. Sometimes... The cause is we forget who we are in Christ. We forget that I am a child of God, saved by grace, that I'm adopted into the family of God. Number three, so you have to acknowledge, you have to evaluate the cause, and then number three, you have to dwell on truth. Who, are, who am I in Christ? I'm an adopted child of God. I've been adopted in the family of God. Jesus is in heaven preparing a room for me in the Father's house. My identity is in him, not as a pastor, not as a husband, not as a father, not as, my identity is in Christ. And no matter what people think or no matter what people say or no matter what happens, that cannot be taken from me. In Galatians, it talks about that we have been given a spirit of adoption as sons and we cry out to our father as Abba Father. Some people like say this and I believe wrongly, like it means like he's our daddy. I just think that's weird. It's, it, no, it, it's a place of respect and, and endearment that he is close to us, but it's, it's more the idea, I believe, that like my father is greater than your father. I've been adopt, adopted by the greatest father. Now, all little kids growing up want to believe that their dad can beat everybody else up right? It's just like, well, my dad's tougher than your dad. And when I was a kid in, in, element, in elementary, I was in Sunday school one day, and one of my classmates said some feat that his dad had just done that week. And so I wanted to one-up him. So I said, yeah, well, that's nothing. My dad killed a man this week and hit him in the cornfield. <laughs> my Sunday school teacher went to my dad afterwards, what's this, like, dude, you killed and laid him in the cornfield? Like, like I just wanted my... <laughs> like, so here's what I would say to you. Like, don't listen to things that little kids say. <laughs> Dwell on truth. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Dwell on truth that God loves my children, my wife, my family more than I ever could. This is why we need people in our lives who will call us to truth. This past summer, I was so grateful for the advisors multiple times, kind of talking me off the cliff. Like, that's not true. Slow down. Don't do that. We need people in our lives who will do that, who will speak to us. 
Because Satan, our adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion, lying. That's what he does. He lies to us. And do you know what Elijah feared the most? What did he fear the most? Death. He feared death. You know what? In the end, he never died. Read it in 2 Kings. He never died. After his, uh, the, his successor, he appointed Elisha as his successor. It says that chariots of fire appeared from heaven in a whirlwind and swept Elijah away to heaven. The thing that he feared the most never happened. Now, you and I are probably aren't going to get swept up in chariots of fire. But the point is, what Elijah feared the most never happened to him. And the things that we allow to weigh us down, cause us to be anxious, often never happen. Number four, you got to know your God. you got to know the Lord. Not about him. you got to know him in a personal way. God is a personal God. He is a father. He wants us to have a relationship with him. And, you know, sometimes... When we have devotions or like a quiet time with the Lord, you know, sometimes you hear people say like, well, I'm not really getting anything out of my quiet time. We've thought that, said that. Here's the thing I would ask us, is the Lord getting anything out of it? It's not just about us. It's a relationship. And the Lord would have us be it. We have to know who God is. In 1 Kings 19, Elisha, when he was in the cave in Beersheba, he said, the Lord of the Lord came to him and he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. And he went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there was a voice that came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God wasn't in the wind. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the fire. You know what God was in? The still quietness of the whisper. Why? Because he's near. He's close. That's why it says in Philippians 4. You know the scripture says in Philippians, Be anxious about nothing? Just before that? Part of the exact same sentence it says, The Lord is near. Be anxious about nothing. You've got to know your God. He's close. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's much closer than you know. You've got to know your God. If you want to overcome fear and anxiety, if you want to walk in a biblical fear of the Lord, you've got to know your God. You've got to know who He is. Now, God's Word reveals who He is. You need to know him in a personal way, in a relationship with him. Know him as your father adopted into his family, given the righteousness of Christ, co-heirs with Christ. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Because anxiety in the heart of a man weighs him down. The fear of man is a snare. It snuffs him out. You gotta know your God. Psalm 118, the Lord is by my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In Matthew chapter 8, there's a story where Jesus was in a boat with his disciples and they were crossing the sea and a great storm arose. And his disciples are terrified that they were gonna die. 
These were experienced fishermen, many of them. They've been on the they've been on water most of their lives. But it says that Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat. I love this, on a pillow. He meant to sleep. You know the storm was coming. You know it was coming, but he went to sleep. His disciples wake him up. Terrified, we're about to die. He says, then why are you so afraid? Oh, ye of little faith. You've got to know God. He is near. He works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. He works all things. He always takes what the enemy intends for evil and he turns it for our good and his glory. Always. But it takes faith to believe that. And last summer, at a season of a low point in my life, I had to say to myself over and over, I believe that I again will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living by faith, by faith, by faith. I didn't feel it. I didn't even believe it. But by faith, I said it. I said it. I said it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or of timidity, but of strength and of courage and of a sound mind. There's a biblical fear and there's an unbiblical fear. So we have to acknowledge your fear. You have to acknowledge it. I, there's, I struggle with this. You have to evaluate the cause. You need to begin to dwell on truth. You need to know your God because he is near. So as we close this morning, just, just ask you to bow your heads. And if you're in here this morning and, and you just want to acknowledge this morning that you are being consumed, controlled by anxiety and fear, would you just slip up your hand where you are? I just want to pray with you. If you're in the room right now and you just want to acknowledge, I fear and anxiety of just controlling me. It keeps me up at night. I can't sleep. Come on, I'm sure there's more. Just acknowledge it for the Lord. Okay, you may put your hands down. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who've just acknowledged they feel anxiety, fear, and anxiousness that is unbiblical and ungodly. Father, would they sense your nearness and your presence? they choose to dwell on truth would you reveal to them the cause and father for those who are in the room who have fear and anxiety because they've been hurt deeply by others father I just ask that your spirit would bring healing truth to their lives Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that allows us to be saved, to be born again, to be changed. In Christ's name, amen. At Redeemer, we want to take communion every Sunday because we want to be a gospel-centered church. We want to remember what Christ has done for us. Communion is given to us to remember what Jesus has done for us. Communion is for Christians. 
for those who put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, there's no judgment. We welcome you. We're so glad you're here. <coughs> we would just ask that you wouldn't <coughs> participate in this part of the service because if you did, Scripture says that you can eat and drink judgment upon yourself because you'd be professing something that's not true about you yet. But we pray that you will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ soon so you could come back and take communion with us. And so if you have the elements and you're not a Christian, it's okay. There's no judgment. We would just ask you to just place them in the tray or in the trash receptacles on your way back out. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he broke it, he gave thanks. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper he took the cup he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood drink it as often as you do in remembrance of me Jesus we thank you for your sacrifice your atoning work of the cross Jesus we thank you for your life your death, your burial, your resurrection we thank you for giving to us your righteousness, for taking upon yourself our sin, and we remember. I pray that we would be people who live the gospel, saturated by the gospel, that we would be forgiving, gracious people in the same way that we have been given grace and forgiveness. May you be glorified in our midst. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you guys have a great week. Remember, we have a mission to fulfill. And above all, put on love.